Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Here's a couple things about our live stream. I always, I kind of make the announcement when I can. Um, but if you can please leave a comment that you're here saying, hey, what's up? Uh, checking in. How's it going? Uh, share the stream for us. Click the share button. And smash the like button anytime that you feel some, something, you know, we say something good or we say something moving, hit that like button, hit that uh, share button for us. Because every single time that you leave a comment or a reaction, uh, it helps other people find us on Facebook. So um, I learned that from watching like game streamers. They're always, they're always saying, hey, if you're tuning in, if you're streaming with us, the price of the stream is just hitting the reaction button. Because it draws, whenever something is popular, it draws other people in so that they can see it. And we actually had, uh, since I started announcing that, we actually had a customer this week tell me and Jared uh, that they tuned into our service after their service was done because Facebook made it a suggestive uh, video. So anytime that you hit the reactions, anytime that you leave a comment, it enables other people that maybe they never have come to this church to see it again. So please do that. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, something that you can also help us with is by checking in on Facebook. I know that you're not here, but just check into the church. Um, every check-in provides 50 gallons of safe drinking water. Uh, for people in the world that, uh, so please check in and help get the clean water uh, to all the people that need it, um, and also help us promote the church and promote what we're doing and promote the stream. Um, let me pray, and we'll jump straight into it. Father God, I thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you've done for us, God. I thank you for uh, where you've led us and where you've le what you've led us through, God. I pray today that we are able to um, hear your word and hear your message to us today. That we can we can create new uh, opportunities, new uh, communities that we can be a part of, God. Even though we're still in this pandemic, even though we still have uh, this. Um, the scare going on, God, I pray that we have peace. I pray that we are able to have joy during all this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as you can tell, I am not Pastor Jared. I am Pastor Jonathan. Um, and Pastor Jared asked me to speak this week. And when he asked me to speak, I, was, I always tell you all guys this, but I, I go on to the journey of finding what to talk about. And uh, here recently, I've been watching a lot of preparedness uh, type of videos on, like, YouTube. So, like, uh, preparedness, like, if the society crashes down around us, what, what sh should you be doing? Or if someone breaks into your house, what, how do you clear your house kind of thing? And uh, I've been just watching a ton of those. And a lot of them suggest uh, a type of bag that you should have on hand called a bug out bag. And I'm sure that some of y'all have heard this before, a bug out bag. Uh, but it's, it's a bag that you have ready for when stuff goes really bad. When stuff goes super bad, it, it's, it's, a, it's terrible. You got to get out with your life right away. You grab your bug out bag. And essentially, it has everything that you would need to survive to get to safety. So uh, it would have food, it'd have water, um, it would have like camping gear or hunting gear, it'd have maps, flashlights, et cetera, right? Uh, you, you can kind of come up with all this stuff like a fire starting kit and stuff. Well, uh, I was watching these videos and one came across that gave a different uh, perspective on, uh, on the preparedness. And it was made by a former army ranger who is now a combat and safety coach. 
And uh, the video is titled, Two Reasons Why I Don't Have a Bug Out Bag. Okay, and so I saw that title, and I was like, okay, well, I've watched several titles that are like, yeah, get your bug out bag, you know. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to look into this. I clicked it. And his two reasons uh, are this. The first reason is if he only has a bug out bag for himself, then what is his wife and children going to do while he's surviving in the forest? I was like, well, that's, that's a pretty good reason. And he, like, has, like, a little clip of him, like, all kitted up, ready to roll, and his wife is standing there like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's, like, ready to leave. Uh, that's a pretty good reason. Um, the se- his second reason, though, is what really stood out to me. And he says this in the video. He says, I would rather bug in with a tight community that I trust than bug out in the forest alone where I'm more vulnerable and can only survive for so long. So I'm going to say that again. Maybe you didn't catch it. Maybe I slurred a little bit. Uh, He said, I would rather bug in with a tight community that I trusted than bug out in the forest alone where I'm more vulnerable and can only survive for so long. When I heard him say say that, it made uh, me think of the people around me uh, that I would trust if society collapsed or if aliens invaded like they did in 1996. Uh, I would need people around me that I could trust. And it made me ask these two questions. Uh, I asked myself, who would I trust? And the second question is just like it. I asked, who would trust me? So who would I trust in this situation? And vice versa, would they trust me? Would they rely on me as well? And this question took me down kind of an existential thought process of how my personal relationship with my friends could one day be something that I relied on to help me and my family physically survive. And so I I started asking myself these things like, okay, well, Reuben, is Reuben someone that I can trust in this situation? Is Reuben going to trust me in that situation? And is my relationship with Reuben um, strong enough to get us through that time? Is it strong enough that we can both rely on each other? And um, then the question popped up into my head. And there's a lot of questions that I'm going to ask because these are the questions that I'm ADHD. And so my brain is just like, hey, here's this, here's this. And uh, one of the questions was, how many times have my friends already saved me? So how many times have I been on my last cord and a friend steps out and says, hey, you know, I want to help. I want to be, I want to help you. Um, And this took me down past kind of memory lane where uh, I remembered a time that me and Lindsay were in another state. We were in Michigan and we had just been let go from uh, a church there and it was real sudden. It was um, it wasn't like there was any markers or, or anything to really point it out. Uh, all of a sudden, we were let go, and our lease was out at the end of the week. So not only are we having to go with no money, we have to get a new place with no money. And so we have to leave Michigan, obviously, right, because we're not going to stay in Michigan, and we're going to move all the way back down to Texas. And so I'm having, the day that that information came, all these things are like piling on in my head. And uh, I call, the first person I call uh, is Jared. And I called Jared and I said, Pastor Jared. And he, and I told him what's going on. And I was lost. I had no idea what to do. And uh, the, the advice that Jared gave me and the advice that Ruben gave me at that time really helped me get really helped me get through that time, really helped me push through that. I hadn't even talked to Lindsay yet, and I was calling those guys because I didn't know how to tell Lindsay. I didn't know what, what I was in a tailspin. And those two guys, their advice helped me out of that. I also remember a time in high school and after high school that I would be overwhelmed with things, and I would call my friend Josh Ramirez up. And me and Josh would meet up and uh, I'd, you know, I'd tell him, listen, man, I need, I need to get this stuff off my mind. And he always delivered. He always, we always went on some crazy adventure that uh, 
was exactly what I needed in that moment to forget what was going on. And uh, that that type of friendship was so precious to me and is so precious to me um, when I need it. Uh, then the questions, uh, more questions started popping up. And one of them uh, was this. Are my relationships now strong enough to hold me when I can't hold any longer? Are my relationships right now the same relationships that I had two years ago, the same relationships that I had five years ago or ten years ago, are those relationships still maintained to a point that they're strong enough to hold through the worst of times? And if they aren't, whose fault is that? If, if my relationship isn't strong with that person anymore, and when I need them, they can't deliver or they're not there, whose fault is that? Well, in my brain, it's not their fault. It's my fault. It's my fault that it's not strong enough. So when Pastor Jared asked me to speak, uh, the Holy Spirit immediately said a word to me uh, because this has kind of been going through my head. It immediately spoke a word to me, and that word is community. Community. Independence Day is not just one of the best movies in the 90s, okay? It's the day that we were, as a nation, celebrate our independence from Great Britain. It marks the day that the United States of America won the Revolutionary War by coming together in unity for a common purpose and a common dream. I began to think about what it means to be in a community with other people. Last time I spoke, uh, I spoke a little bit about social media, if you remember. It wasn't too long ago, so hopefully you do remember. Um, I spoke a little bit about uh, social media. Social media is phenomenal. It's amazing. Uh, the connections that, that social media opens up and uh, makes happen is amazing. People who have not seen each other for 20 years when Facebook first came out are all of a sudden connecting and, and making, uh, renewing those relationships, re renewing those friendships. Uh, my dad, all right, okay, so, uh, well, I'll tell you this first. Uh, it actually allows us to broadcast our church services all over the world for free. For free. This is something that would take millions of millions of dollars just 10 years ago. Just 10 years ago, this live stream would have cost a ton of money to get to all the people that it would reach. But today, we can do it on Facebook for free. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, so my dad, he's discovered this. He's discovered this amazing thing, and I love him. He's, he's awesome. I would not be the man I am without my dad. Uh, and so he has started these uh, Facebook Live sessions, and one of them is a Sunday night service that he does for his church and for Facebook uh, called the Sunday Night Afterglow with Johnny Knight. Uh, it's a long name, I know, but... That's what he does. He gets on a Sunday nights and he, he plays worship music, some southern gospel music. He uh, sings, he, he talks a little bit, he prays, and he just has kind of this nightly, like Sunday night service uh, just on Facebook. He also does something else. Um, it's actually kind of cute, like when you think about it, but uh, it's kind of embarrassing when you're a kid, but I love you, Pops. Don't, don't think I'm say anything bad about it, but he does these uh, reading Facebook Live things where he, he's a writer. He writes these short stories, and so the whole Facebook Live is him reading his story, which I, that is, that's cool and good. Um, the cute thing about it is that he wears a fedora for that one, and that's the only one he wears a fedora for. I've never seen Dad wear a fedora in my life outside of those videos. It's awesome. You should check it out. It's Johnny Knight Reads is that is the title. Um, but even with all this technology, that has enabled us to broadcast through, uh, through live services and reconnect with people that we haven't seen since high school. Social media has, uh, has been amazing. But despite all of that, despite all that positive, despite all that good, 
uh, social media has seemed to also disconnect us from the world happening right outside of our front doors, uh, right outside of our computer screens, right outside of our phone screens. It seems like we've, we've become disconnected with the world. And instead, we're in this digital world, this um, almost make-believe world. If, if you can remember a time before COVID, right? Because obviously COVID changed everything. Uh, that's pretty much everything everybody talks about these days. But before COVID, uh, what would you see? You would see the best pictures of families. You would see the best posts, the best trips, the best traveling. And um, you would never see, you know, the the Cheerios that are flying in the air right before that picture is taken uh, or the milk that's splashing on the, the dad's head uh, right after the picture is taken. Uh, you, you don't see those moments. You see uh, what people want you to see. You see this this perfect uh, life that everybody's trying to attain and uh, nobody has. And it seems like it that whole purpose of driving that narrative on social media disconnects us from reality. It disconnects us from what's actually happening in the world around us, in the people right next to us. And so what in the name of socializing, in the name of reconnecting, we're actually disconnecting from our immediate friends. We're actually disconnecting from the people around us. Um, you know, it, it's amazing that we have all of our friends that we've ever known right at our fingertips, yet we would rather stay locked up inside watching Netflix. And yeah, I know COVID, all this stuff, you're supposed to be locked inside. But before that, what was the excuse? Before that, what was causing us to just go home, watch Netflix, watch Prime, whatever your streaming thing is, and just kind of block off uh, the world? I understand uh, that we've been locked up, uh, but what was the excuse for 2019? What was the excuse for 2018? Uh, why did it take a pandemic to make us slow down and start realizing how alone we've made ourselves. You know, that there are positives that have come out of this pandemic, and part of that is that we slowed down, is that we, we stopped this rat race of work and work home, you know, work, family, home, work, family, home. Instead, it became, okay, now I can enjoy my family. Now I can enjoy being around them. And some of you are like, I've enjoyed enough. Please take them back, school. But I, I get it. I, I, I get that. Um, but why did it take a pandemic to shift our mentality? Now, I totally understand that some people are awesome at building community around them, uh, that they check in with their friends, they call them, they text them, they uh, hang out with them. Uh, but to me, it seems like the majority of us take advantage of the fact that we see each other once a week um, or once every other week at church uh, or following our friends on online, on social media, and we think that our relationships are just as strong as they've ever been. And I think that we're wrong. I think that our, our friendships, when we disconnect like that and we're not around each other, I think that our friendships wane a little bit. Because it's, it, it, becomes, uh, it becomes a sharing problem. You know, if someone I haven't seen for, you know, 10 years comes up and asks me how my relationship with me and my wife is going, my answer is going to be, good. Yeah, it's good. But let's say someone very close to me that's talking, I say, oh, man, you know, uh, Lindsay, she beats me all the time. She does. She actually does beat me all the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it, it, we would be able to open up a little bit more, right? Um, she's yelling at me behind the sound stage right now. Just uh, I wish we had a camera pointing that way. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, but social media has tricked us into thinking that we have a great relationship with people because we like and comment on their posts. Now, because I, I, I reach out and I comment on their posts, they think, you know, we think, man, we have such a great, we talk to them all the time, you know. 
uh, when actual, in actuality, how well do we really know that person anymore? How, how real can we get with that person face-to-face? And as I was thinking about community, I asked myself, what holds a community together? What holds a community? Is it, you know, um, is it location? Is it uh, time spent with each other? Is it love? Is it grief? Is it um, pain? What is it? What is it that causes a community to come together? Uh, there's a show that I absolutely love, and this show is called, ironically, Community. And it is about a study group in a community college that uh, end up going through a lot of crazy adventures together that would never happen in the real world, but they're going through crazy adventures, and almost always they're on the verge of breaking up. And every episode, something happens, they're on the verge of completely collapsing, and the leader of their group, Jeff Winger, he's an ex-lawyer. He starts, he always gives a speech. Every episode is a speech, right? And uh, it ends up saving the day, ends up centering them all, and they're able to come back together. And here's, we're about to show one of his biggest speeches um, of they're about to fall apart, they're about to go in chaos, and they've collectively said, no, we're going to stay together but things are changing, and uh, he gives this speech. Go ahead and watch it. Now, uh, Jeff is a cynical character, so his glue that kept them together was pain. Um, but uh, as, as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, what does Jesus think the glue is? What, what does Jesus say about building community? And uh, there are two times uh, that Jesus has asked uh, this question, what is the greatest command? Uh, what is the greatest commandment? And both Matthew and Mark tell the same story and the same instance, and Luke tells the same instance with a little bit of a spin on it. He says this in Luke 10, 25 through 29. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus says, what is written... What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God. The the lawyer uh, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says back to him, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So you have this lawyer. He's standing up. He's trying to get Jesus. He's trying to lawyer Jesus, right? And so he asks this question. Jesus lawyers him back. And he's like, hey, you tell me. You tell me the answer to that. And so he starts, and he tells it 
But this last question, and we've said it several times uh, over a couple months, that uh, that he answers Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to be loving? Who is it that I'm supposed to be responsible for? And Jesus goes in to the story called the Good Samaritan. I'm going to quickly recap that. I'm not going to go over all the verses. But the Good Samaritan, if you don't know what it is, uh, it's a story about a young man who goes into the city. He buys some goods. He's leaving the city, and he goes down a pathway uh, that has a bunch of thieves in it. They beat him up. They steal his stuff. They leave him with like an inch of his life left. Um, if you play video games, it's like 1% of his health is left, and he's blinking, and he's like, oh, and he's, he's on the side of the road, and three people come walking by him. One is a priest, one is a teacher, and one is a politician. And all three of these men who are Jews come and see their Jewish brother laying there, and each one of them chicken out. Each one of them avoid him and keep walking for their own separate reasons. And a fourth man comes and sees him and gives mercy to him and leans down and, and wraps him up and, and cleans his wounds and puts him on his horse and takes him to an inn and pays for the innkeeper to take care of him overnight, uh, however long it takes. And he leaves the man with money. He says to the innkeeper, whatever debts this man accrues, when I come back through, I'll pay it for him. And the fourth man is a Samaritan. And uh, we, we've gone into great detail, kind of the big difference between Samaritans and Jews. But these people hated each other. The, the Jews hated Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds. They saw them not even worthy. So they, they saw Gentiles better than they saw Samaritans. They even saw dogs better than they saw Samaritans. They were super hyper racist against them. And for Jesus to tell the story of three Jewish men walking by this almost dead Jewish man without batting an eye, they just keep walking. But a Samaritan comes and takes care of him is a big deal. One, it completely goes against everything they believe about Samaritans that Samaritans wouldn't help them, but this Samaritan did. And so he tells this story. It's a beautiful story about overcoming racial prejudices to help somebody in need. It's, it's an amazing story, and Jesus, at the end of it, says, well, who do you say the neighbor is in that story? And the man can't even say the Samaritan. He has to say the one who helped him. So, Jesus is very clearly teaching them a lesson that to love your neighbor does not mean just love the people like you, to love the people who love you. He's, he's not saying that at all. John tells us a, a little bit of a different story, right? He, he tells us about a new command that Jesus gives us, um, towards the end of his life, to, at the Last Supper, he brings his boys together, and in John 13, 34 through 35, it says this. Uh, it says, a new command. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Then Jesus goes on and he breaks down a bunch of other things. He starts talking about, um, you know, uh, predicting his end time. He starts predicting um, what what what's going to happen here in a second. And the disciples don't understand. They're like, no, you know, Peter's like, nah, yo, Jesus, I'm going to be with you all the way. You know, you're not going to die, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, actually, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. And Peter's like, oh, oh. And Jesus then says, I, I am the vine and you are the fruit. You are the branches. You produce the fruit. I'm the vine that runs through you. And he says this again in John 15, 9 through 17. He says it again to reiterate how important it is for them to get this new command. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, 
remain in my love. Okay, so a lot of people, a lot of legalistic people take this verse and they say, uh, now remain in my love. That means that we need to uh, do certain things. We need to act a certain way in order for us to keep in favor with God, to keep in love with God, that, that Jesus will only love us if we act a certain way and we, we, we you know, walk a certain way, talk a certain way. And people take a hold of this verse, but they don't keep reading he says this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And this adds fire to him. They're like, see, he said, obey his commands, see, obey, and he will remain in his love, just like he did father. So that means that we need to, to follow the rules. And, and the Jews back then, after Jesus died, and we had the new church, the Jewish people that were in the new, that were Christians, they were saying this to the Gentile people. You know, you, in order to follow God's commands, you need to be circumcised. You need to stop eating pigs. You need to stop doing all this stuff. You need to start acting a certain way. And they didn't remember the next thing he said. You got to keep reading. He says, uh, in the next verse, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, okay? So everything before, when he said, follow my commands, when he said all those things, he's not talking about something that he prior said, even though he did early in the conversation. He's not talking about other things that he taught them along the way. He's talking about this next verse. That's why he reiterates with his own words, my command is this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. And he goes on to define what that love means. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So how can we be God's friend? By doing what he commanded. What was his command? To love each other as he loves us. Goes on, he says, I no longer call you servants. You are no longer my servant because a servant does not know his master's business, but he just let us into his business. He just gave us the inside information. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, right? What, what has Pastor Kevin talked about? What did I talk about? What did Pastor Jared talk about last week? That we did not choose Jesus, but I, Jesus, chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. I like how he has to say it three times, and yet we still don't get it. I like that he reiterates it three times in the same book. John is highlighting this. John is pointing to this, that this is very important. In fact, John points at it again in 1 John and in 2 John when he talks about the light and the darkness. And how do we stay in the light? Well, we follow his command. What is his command? To love each other. To love each other. So I do, I do disagree with Jeff Winger that the glue that holds a community together isn't pain. The glue that holds a community together is love. Let's get a definition of love really quick, right? So I was, I was talking, and I, I, I know that you guys have heard me talk about all this before, uh, and, and I get it. You know, I'm kind of a broken record on this right now. And the reason why is because I fully, wholeheartedly believe in love. I wholeheartedly believe in it. And I believe that none of us quite get it. None of us quite understand it. Because if we did understand it, 
this whole world would be changed. If we did understand it, then we would have heaven on earth. If we did understand it, then we wouldn't be asking Jesus, come back quickly. Come back quickly to establish your earth. Instead, we would be walking in the, the purpose that God set out for us, which is to love each other and bring heaven to earth. Bring the kingdom of God to earth through what? Through love. And I've, had, I've talked to people about this before, um, and they've wanted to debate me. And they say, they say back to me, well, well, define love. Well, Jesus defined love about laying down his life for a brother. But let's look at a little bit further in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a very clear depiction of what love is. Flip, uh, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says this. Love is, okay, it's a definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where, the, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Paul is driving this point, this point home. That love is the greatest, most trustworthy thing in the world. That it does not matter what other people try to define love as. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. And I love this about community. I love that next verse that says it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. How many times have you been in a group of friends? Let's, let's harken back to your high school years, right? And let's imagine... You're in high school, if you try to pull some memories, that you are in with a clique, you're in with a group of friends, and then all of a sudden you do something that those friends are not cool with. All of a sudden you do something that throws them off and sets them off, and then all of a sudden what happens? You lose your friends. You lose them. They don't want to talk to you no more. You have wronged them, and then all of a sudden you split the friends group, right, because some friends are for you, some friends are against you, whatever, and they split up, right? Well, there, was n there wasn't true love there, right? Because it says that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That when things happen, when, 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 you know, the fan is all clogged up, right? Love does not run. Love does not back down. Love does not run scared and, and hold off. In fact, it... It greets it, not with anger, not with judgment, but it greets it with trust. It greets it with hope. It greets it unfailing. It greets it with kindness and patience. That's what love does. Think about the definition of love. Then let's hold it up to how we interact with the community around us. Let's take that definition and we'll say, how do we treat our family? It, does it line up? How do we treat our friends? Does that line up? How do we treat our coworkers? How do we treat our neighbors? How do we treat someone that doesn't look like us? How do we treat someone that doesn't think like us? How do we treat those people? When's the last time you called a friend just to see how they're doing? When's the last time you called two friends just to see how they're doing? You may have one friend you do that on, 
But how many of y'all have two, three, four people that you call just to say, hey, I just want to see how your day's going, man. I just want to check in with you. I'm preaching to the choir here, too. I'm not just pointing fingers at people. This is me as well, that I myself need to listen to this, that I myself need to be calling people. I need to follow up with people because I need a stronger community. I need a stronger lifeline. When's the last time you invited someone over to the house just to spend time with them, just to get to know them? We're so much stronger as a community than we are alone. And right now we're in this pandemic. Right now we're in this moment that we're isolated by law. Law is making us isolate ourselves and segregate ourselves and keep to ourselves and not interact with other people and not reach out to other people. I challenge you right now, ask what love is doing. Ask what love demands of us. Uh, You know, uh, I've said this many times before, that if our whole goal is to get into heaven, we've missed the point of what Jesus did. We've missed it. You've missed it if all you're worried about is getting into heaven. That should be the last thing. That should be the last thing on your mind. The first thing on your mind is exactly what he told us to do, and that's to love each other. That's to be there for each other. That's to lean on one another. You know, Jesus' whole purpose of coming down wasn't to talk about some future date that he's going to come rescue us come rescue us from the evil of this world. Come rescue us from the turmoil of this world, the chaos of this world. That was not the purpose of Jesus' coming. His teachings were for us on this world. His teaching was on those who are living in this world and how we can affect people in our world. Sometimes we get too caught up looking up Sometimes we get too caught up looking down and we don't realize the people who are around us who are hurting. We don't see them crying out to God. And instead we're worried about, Jesus, come back and save me. Jesus, come back and rescue me from this pandemic. Jesus, come back and rescue me from these financial issues. Jesus, come back and and take me from this world so I don't have to deal with these Democrats. I don't have to deal with these Republicans. I don't have to deal with these Marxists. I don't have to deal with these capitalists. Whatever it is that you were wanting Jesus to come back and just fix with a magic wand. Jesus taught us. Jesus took his wand and gave it to us and said, now you go and do it. You go and do it. I've taught you everything. I've given you everything. You are not a servant anymore. You're a friend because I've told you everything. I've told you what God expects of you. I've told you these things, and here's what he expects of you. Love each other. Not love other people far away. Say, I've taught this before to youth groups that when, when Jesus is talking about the great, greatest commandments, that it's really easy for us to lock into this spot that says, okay, love God. He's, he's far away from me. He's up in heaven somewhere. God is far away. Oh, love people. Okay, so I need to love people. All right, well, who's the hurting people? Okay, well, we got people in Uganda who need, who need us. We got people in, in Ukraine that need Jesus. We, we've got people in China that need Jesus. We've got people in Mexico that need Jesus. We, we, we got people all around us in other nations that need Jesus. The thing is, is that you have people all around you in your neighborhood, just next door, 
just across the street, just working at the same job, just eating at the same place. You have people around you that need Jesus in their life, not to rescue them up into heaven, but to change their life on earth to change their life on earth. And I'm not talking about behavioral patterns. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about giving people purpose, giving people a dream, giving people a hope of saying, no, you're valuable. You're not just a mistake. You're not just an anomaly. You're not just a scientific happenstance that we just grew out of nothing. No, you have a purpose. You have a dream. You have an inheritance. You have a future in Jesus Christ. You have those things. Jesus gave us those things. And like I preached three weeks ago or four weeks ago, whenever it was I preached last, Jesus came down not to establish those things, but Jesus came down with a flashlight showing us that they have always been here, that grace has always been here, that love has always been here, that God's design was not changed after Jesus, that God's design was from the very beginning with Adam and Eve when he taught them, listen, I love you. I want you to go out. I want you to make this world plentiful. When when the judgment came out of Eden, he didn't kill them. He didn't cast them out into some darkness that left them alone. What did he do? He clothed them. He said, listen, I care enough for you that I I am going to make the first sacrifice. I'm, if you think about it, who's he sacrificing to? To himself? No. He killed that lamb to provide clothes for Adam because Adam thought he was naked. Not because God thought he was naked. Man, if you really got that, the Father would look different. He's not some angry God overlooking your work, overlooking your shoulder. He's not some boss on the job making sure that you do everything just right. He's not a boss that he's ready to fire you in the moment that you make a mistake. He's a Father who despite Despite what you believe, despite what you're doing, he's still there loving you, giving you grace, giving you patience, making things work out in your life. He's right there. He's in everything. Everything, every living thing on this earth, God is there. That should blow your mind. It should blow your mind that this all-powerful God, this all-present God, loves us enough to let Adam choose to eat the apple or the fruit, whatever it is. That he loved Adam enough to not lobotomize him He loved Adam enough to not rule with an iron thumb. But instead, he gave him the freedom to choose. And even when he chose, he still provided for him. That first act of kindness that God did where he killed the lamb and he he gave Adam the clothes was a foreshadowing of what Jesus did. That Jesus was the lamb that covered Adam. Not covered his sin, not washed away his sin. What he did is he covered his shame. He covered his guilt. He covered the nakedness that only Adam and Eve saw. They're the only ones that saw that. God came down and he's walking through the garden And he's looking for Adam, and Adam says, hey, God, I'm over here hiding. And God says, why are you hiding? And Adam says, well, because I'm naked. And God goes, who told you that? Who who told you that? 
I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that you were dirty. I didn't tell you that you were perverted. I didn't tell you that you were broken. I didn't tell you that you weren't enough. I didn't tell you that you did something wrong. I didn't tell you any of those things. So why do you feel that way? Who told you that? I feel like that's a question that we should ask on on a lot of our beliefs of how we believe certain ways. And we should ask those questions. Well, who taught you that? Where did they get that from? Where is that in the Bible? And even if it's written in the Bible, is that what it means in the Bible? I just went over a whole section of verse that Jesus says, if you love me, if you want to be my friends, keep my commands. But what was his command? Love each other. He said earlier in that in that first John scripture, in John 15, he said, or John 13, he said, that's how people are going to know that you're my disciples. That's how people are going to know that you follow me. We are so much stronger together. We are so much stronger in unity. We are so strong as a nation that back in 1776, we pushed out the greatest empire out of our nation. Through what? Unity. Through what? A common goal. A common dream. I ask that your common goal and your common dream from here on out is to show Jesus, not show a judgmental, angry Jesus, but a loving Jesus, a loving Father, a loving Father God. Because that's what He is. This weekend marks the day our country became a nation. And it's my opinion that if we don't start tr- strengthening the relationships and the communities that we are all that we already have around us, then it doesn't matter how far our reach is, our base is going to be weak. It doesn't matter what we're doing in other nations. It doesn't matter what we're doing in other states. It doesn't matter what we're doing around the world. If our home base is in cr- is crumbling around us. We're no good. We're no good. We have to look over those friends, those family members that are close to us. And sometimes that means getting over the delusion that everything's okay. The delusion that our relationship's fine. When it's not. It's my opinion that the way community goes is the way the nation will go. We've got to break down these barriers. We've got to break down these cultural divides. We have to. We have to get over them. We have to come together as one people, one nation, under God, indivisible. That, that statement is, is wrong right now. We're so divided. We're at each other's throats. No, we need to be indivisible. We need to be one people. It starts in your home. It starts right there with your family. Don't just get closed off with your family, though. Start bringing in your friends. Start bringing in their friends. Start bringing in the business owners, the business goers that you run into. Start bringing them into the fold. And I'm not talking about bringing them into a behavioral pattern. I'm saying bring them into your love. 
Bring them into your trust and your hope and your perseverance. Guys, when's the last time you took your missus on a date? Don't use COVID as an excuse because me and Lindsay have seen two movies since COVID. When's the last time you took her out on a date? Parents, when's the last time you had quality time with your children where you turned off the the games, you turned off the phones, and you had board night, board game night, or something like that? How many of how many of you know your neighbors' names? I have a neighbor that's right next door to me. His name's Will, and he is a phenomenal at community. He puts me in the dust. He's amazing. He greets everybody, everybody. When they drive past his house, they honk at him in the neighborhood to say hi. He's amazing at community. I'm not. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at reaching out to people. When's the last time I learned my neighbor's name? We have to intentionally build up the people around us. Intentionally. It can no longer be a passive thing. It can no longer be a once a week thing. We have to, have to, have to be intentional about our relationships. So that when we don't, uh, we have to be intentionally building our relationships with people around us so that we don't accidentally end up with no one to lean on. We have to lean on each other. And that has to do with work now. Put in the time. Reach out to the people that are dear to you. Speak life into them. Speak love into them. Care for them, not with judgment but with trust and with hope and with protecting them. Even when the rest of the world is telling you not to. Love them anyway. So that one day, you don't accidentally find yourself alone. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your you gave us even even back when you first created life you gave us your love Lord God I pray that we are able to show your love I pray that we are able to express that love to the people around us that we're not scared that we're not ashamed God but that we're proud We're proud to be your friends. We're proud to be your arms and legs here on this earth, God. I pray that our eyes stop just looking up and that they start looking around. We start seeing people the way you see people, God. I pray for every person that's scared during this pandemic. I pray for everybody that's sick. Lord God, I pray healing into their bodies. I pray peace into them. I pray joy. I pray that something good happens today. I pray that something amazing, miraculous happens today, right now. In Jesus' name. I pray that we have more opportunities to speak into people's lives. I pray that we take those opportunities, that we're not timid, that we're not, uh, we don't have a spirit of timidity, God, but that you flare up that power, you flare up that love, you flare up that peace, God, and that we are able to boldly step out and proclaim your love and proclaim your grace. Jesus, change our mindset change our mindset, God, that we would 
do the work here on earth that you've called us to do. And it's not just preaching, it's not just telling people about you, but it's living with people. It's walking hand in hand through life and showing a good example of what a follower of Jesus is. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everything you're doing for us. And I pray right now, every single person feels the same.